You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Amen. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm uh, so excited to be able to join with you this morning just to, to open God's Word together. I uh, got a lot of exciting things. This particular text that, uh, that we're reading from this morning has been um, exciting me for quite some time. I've been getting into it for, for, for a little while, and I'm just excited about sharing it with you. So I'm uh, looking forward to all of that. Thank you for uh, those that have joined us online. We're so excited that you're here also, uh, some of the, the braver ones in the room. Thank you for uh, braving that weather and um, getting to see an, an entire year of uh, weather changes all in, in one day, right? All kinds of crazy stuff. But um, before we get to the text, I, I want to share a story with you. And uh, the, the story is the, the first time that I played at Top Golf. Anybody play at Top Golf before? Top Golf's kind of fun. Uh, I must say that I was so excited. Uh, I've, I've played golf throughout. Um, throughout my high school years, and uh, I see myself as a decent golfer, like probably at least like one step above a hacker or so. Um, that's kind of where I am. But um, Top Golf is built for someone like me. Uh, it involves no short game, and it has these huge nets that run on both sides, so your your shots don't go into the woods or the water. So it's uh, it's pretty nice for me. Um, I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, but Top Golf lets you play a lot of these little mini games, and each ball has a chip in it that tells the scoring system exactly where it goes. And, uh, and then, then there's targets out on the range that you aim for, and it allows you to go for those targets, and you get points based on how you do. Okay? So that's kind of how it works. Uh, my first time playing, though, I quickly saw that I was missing something. Okay? Um, I was definitely missing something. You see, I was hitting some really good shots. I, I'd, I'd get on my driver, and I'd hit it really far, and I'd hit the back net, and sometimes it was even in the middle, uh, sometimes. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, I, I think no matter what that was, I, um, I continued just to, to see that even though I was hitting some of my targets, I, I, I was missing the point of the game. See, the game that we had chosen didn't care about hitting it far. It, it, it was about precision, and it gave more points to some of the even closer targets. Uh, so the person I'm playing with was hitting maybe some ugly shots, uh, maybe hitting little line drives with their wedge and maybe uh, dribbling some down the range a little bit. And they were outscoring me the entire time. Uh, it was kind of crazy. But 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 why do I tell you that story? Because while I, there was a lot of activity going on on my part, I was missing the whole point because I didn't know what actually mattered. I didn't know what actually mattered. So as we start the new year, it's, uh, it's great to have some things to shoot for. It's great to have some goals. It's, uh, now, if your walk with Jesus is uh, on your radar at all, today is for you. Okay? Now, if you're just checking out this whole Jesus thing, maybe for the first time, uh, I, I think today is for you too. Because there are some foundational truths in the text that we're going to look at. That'll help you see who Jesus really is. The text makes me examine my life and what really matters. And I hope it has the same effect for you today. Uh, it may be a very familiar story for some of you, but our focus today is going to be on a less emphasized part of that story. Uh, so if you, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. And as we start this chapter... 
we start this chapter out with uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They're all grumbling at Jesus. OK, they're all grumbling at him. And if uh, you know them very well, you know, they do that often. Right. Uh, because they're, they're mad at him because he's welcoming sinners to come and eat with him and to to be with him. And Jesus goes on to explain to everyone listening what God is like, what the kingdom of God is all about. And he tells three stories to do that. The first story is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them is lost. And he goes on to tell about the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one he searches and high and low until he finds that lost sheep. And after finding it, puts it on his shoulder, on his shoulders and rejoices and then invites his friends and his neighbors to come and join in that rejoicing. And then celebration ensues, right? Jesus goes on to mention that there's joy in heaven over the repentance of a sinner. And then the next story, he, he's, he's telling about a woman who has ten silver coins and she loses one. And then she lights up her oil lamp and she goes sweeping through the house looking for it diligently, searching for this coin. And upon finding it, it says that she calls together all of her friends and all of her neighbors and invites them to rejoice with her. And Jesus compares that joy to the joy before the angels of God for a sinner repenting. Some powerful stories. And then, in one of the most familiar stories of Jesus, he tells the story of a man who had two sons. You may know this story as the story of the prodigal son. And the younger son comes to the father demanding his inheritance. He's, uh, he's asking for his inheritance before his, his father is, is actually died. And um, there's some implication there that He's basically wishing his father dead so he could have his stuff, right? The father gives the son what he wants, and the son goes on to waste his fortune to the point where he's going hungry during a time of famine. The son returns home with the intention of begging his father to be just his servant. In an amazing moment, breaking societal norms and bucking tradition, the father sees the son from far off, and he takes off running to him. The actual phrase is that the father falls on his neck in embrace. And before the son can get out his rehearsed speech, the father is restoring his son. He says, bring the best robe, bring a ring for his finger, bring him some shoes. And like the other two stories you just told, the father begins a celebration because his lost son is found. He begins a feast and a celebration, even killing the fattened calf. Something reserved for only the, the biggest of celebrations. And that's exactly where I'd like to pick up the story. And um, you may be saying, wait, you've already told the story, though. So, OK, what's what are we going to see here? Um, it's the story of the prodigal son. You just recapped it, but I, I almost finished it. But remember, this, the man had two sons and we're going to pick up with the story of the older of the sons. So if you would look with, look with me at verse twenty five, it says this. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, this must have been some kind of party, okay? Because, uh, I don't know about you, but if you can hear the dancing, you know that they're really getting down. Everybody's having a good time, right? They're, they're definitely having a good time. But, but something we can notice here is that with all of these events going on, all this, all that's happening, the brother the older brother is in the is is in the field working. And one thing that jumps out to me with this is that the older son seems to be a bit preoccupied with work. 
He's a bit preoccupied with work to a point that he's actually missing what's going on with the father. And in turn, he's also missing what's important to the father. And he's missing the celebration that the father is throwing, right? It actually reminds me of another encounter that we see with Jesus and Mary and Martha. If you turn with me at Luke 10, you don't have to turn there. I have the scriptures on the, on the screen. Uh, but Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Martha is about some good things, but in that moment, in that moment, Mary chooses what is better, and that's being at the feet of Jesus. She was about the one thing that was necessary in that moment. Let's keep going with the prodigal son. Verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Now, I find it interesting here that he calls one of the servants to interpret the events going on. I find it interesting that he chooses to ask a servant when he could go to the source and actually ask his father. Maybe he's just seeking out information. Uh, Maybe he's working hard. He hears the music and he's genuinely just kind of wondering what's going on. Or perhaps he sees exactly what's happening. He sees, and he's indignant, perhaps. Maybe he's just getting someone to confirm that he's seeing what he's actually seeing. You see what I'm saying? That whole thing. Maybe he's making it almost like an echo chamber of anger for himself. Now, don't miss this. Who should be more likely to know what's going on with the Father? Who should it be? Should it be a son or a servant? This son is actually more of a servant than a son, and it's by his own choice. Now think with me. The way the father has been waiting for the younger son, you have to imagine that a true son is not going to be shocked by the heart of the father wanting to have his younger son back. It wouldn't be a secret to a son to know the father's heart to restore the younger son. I'm sure he would have been talking about it all the time. He would have heard his, his father talking about, man, I wonder what, what's going on with my, my younger son. I wonder what's happening. I wish he would come back. I wish he would just be here. You have to wonder how a son would know. A son would know that. A son's going to know the heart of his father, and there would not be a shock to see it and unfold the way that it has. And then in verse 27, we get a recap from the servant. Okay, so the servant tells us what's going on. And he says, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then 28, but he was angry, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. So in this moment, who do you think that the older son is angry with? You, did you, you think he's angry with his brother? I think definitely, yeah, you're going you're to hear his heart uh, about that in verse 30. Uh, he definitely knows what his younger brother's been up to. He knows what, he, what kind of mischief he's been going, getting into. Uh, maybe he wanted the younger brother to get what he deserved, maybe. Uh, maybe he wanted justice for the younger brother's selfishness or something along those lines. 
Uh, do you think that he's also maybe angry at the father? I, I think so. I, I think definitely. I, I think um, there's times where maybe you find yourself getting angry with God. I, I think if I'm honest, I do. I do often. I find that there's usually about two reasons that I get angry with God. One is I don't understand. I just had a good friend who lost, uh, a good friend from my childhood that lost his brother. And uh, his brother was a father too, in a, in a tragic car wreck. And um, there's things that I see each and every day that I just don't understand. And uh, I just, I, sometimes I get angry with God about that. I'm like, God, why would you let this happen? What is going on? There's things that just don't make sense to me. I get angry because I don't understand. The, the, um, the other thing I'd say, the other reason I get angry with God, or uh, I find that when I get angry with God, I find that I'm wrong <laughs> most often. The, the truth is that I, I'm seeing everything from my vantage point. It's like looking at a painting from just right up close, right? I can only see what my experience and my understanding and my wisdom allow me to see. I can only see part of the picture. It, it makes it very difficult to know what the full picture is, doesn't it? It, it much less see beauty in it, but God sees from his vantage point. He sees the full picture, the whole picture. He exists outside of time and understands how everything fits. He understands how it all is about him. Now, if you see the full picture, you see it's Rembrandt's The Prodigal Son. And just that, that, that full idea of maybe if I'm up close and I just see what I see with my experience, I only see just a little part, but God sees the entire thing. He sees the whole thing. But now, back to the scripture, I want you to really look at the Father in this story. I, I just love this picture of God. See, even in the midst of self-righteous anger and outrage, you see the Father's compassion. And he comes to entreat him. He comes to call him back in. He wants him to come to the, to the party. He wants him to come to the celebration, come to the banquet. And, and one thing that I find interesting is that the father is the same towards the younger son and the older son. He's the same. He's consistent. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's full of grace. Jesus reaches out to the poor, the broken, the unclean, the sinners, the rejects, and the Pharisees' anger boils over at him because they don't understand and because they're wrong. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. <laughs> you see the rude address of the son towards the father. Say, Look! It's kind of how I see it anyway, just that, that whole address. But then he follows it up with some boastful explanations of all that he's done, all the ways that he served him. He says, I've served you for so many years and I've never disobeyed your commands. And you, you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Now, I don't know how many parents are out here that are going to have to maybe put their kids in, in therapy because they never gave them a young goat. But, uh, but maybe, maybe you're out there. But... Um, what, what do you think that the older son, what, what is the older son's motivation for work? What, what do you think it is? Do you think maybe it's reward? Do you think maybe it's duty? I'm going to do what I'm told. Now, do you think it's love for the father? 
Now, see, the, the younger son wanted what the father had for himself. But the older son doesn't realize that he is being the exact same way. He wants what he deserves, and he wants it now. Right? See, pride and self-righteousness, they always want it more about them. They always do. It, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's keep going. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, did you notice that he doesn't even call, call him by brother? Did you notice that? He says, this son of yours. I mean, almost implying that it's the father's fault, right? That all of this is because of the father doing this. And, and as you're hearing this story, I, I think you have to ask, where's the joy? Every other story in this chapter, we saw the shepherd with the sheep. We saw him bring the, his friends and neighbors together. Let's rejoice. You see the woman with the coin. She finds the coin. Let's bring everybody together. Let's rejoice. You see the father start the party. But where is the joy in this older son? Where is it? Where is it gone? And I, I think that's supposed to strike a chord with the Pharisees and the religious leaders that he's talking to. But, but you know what? It actually, it strikes a chord with me. I, I think that's because Jesus is talking to me too. I think he, he may be talking to you. Uh, now, I, I think we all may have some younger brother moments in our lives. I, I feel like the majority of us, though, are going to struggle with older brother, older brother tendencies for the most part. I am an older brother far more than I'd like to admit. I am. No matter how much I try to make my relationship with Jesus about him, I end up making it about what I do. Maybe it's easier to boil a relationship down to steps and duties. If I just do this, then everything's going to be okay. But the problem is that isn't a relationship, right? If my relationship with my wife is a list of do's and don'ts and I boil it down to a checklist... It's easy to feel that that's just wrong. Yet, why do I do that when it comes to Christ? Why? And, and especially this time of year. Maybe you're evaluating your last year. Maybe you're identifying where you missed the mark. And maybe you're wanting to make some resolutions and try to get back on track. Uh, but I, it always ends up being a list of things I'm going to do. But what's our end game? What's the end game? What are we going to... What are we going to do? We're going to try to get as holy as we can be. We're going to try to, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to memorize a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to do this and that. And then everybody that sees me this year is going to just see how holy I am. But you have to ask yourself, do, do I think, do you think that you can out-religious the Pharisees? Think you can? Now, these guys were the holiest of the holy in Jesus' day. They had the Torah memorized. The first five books of the, New, of the Old Testament, memorized. They were so exact in their religious practice. They prayed a certain way. They gave their tithes. They knew their scriptures inside and out. Do, do I really think I can out-religious the Pharisees? All of that, and Jesus had issues with everything that they did. 
And my default is to try to be more like them. Why is that? He took, Jesus takes every opportunity to rebuke them and he calls them out. He corrects them. He tries to show them their errors of their ways. All of that effort and even this side of the cross, I try to fill my lack of connection with Jesus with things that I do. Do you hear that? I try to fill my lack of connection with Jesus with things that I do. I try to fill that void I experience with how I'm going to try harder. And I'm going to be better. And I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this and that. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, in one of the most haunting verses of scripture in the New Testament, you see this point made all the more clear. In Matthew chapter 7, it says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, do you see that there is something distinctly, distinctly different about doing works and knowing Jesus? Do you see that? Jesus is saying that one of those things far, far, far outweighs the other. One of those things matters far more. But the story's not finished yet. Keep going. Verse 31. And then he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. What you see here is the root of the issue with the older son. And the issue is this. It's a matter of being content. Matter of being content. The son is seeing the father and all of life for the stuff that he can get. He's missing that it's all about the father himself. It's all about the father. Uh, John Piper puts it so clearly in this quote. He says that the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict and, or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? The Father knows. He knows that he is enough. But we, we try to make our relationship with Jesus about so much other stuff. Maybe even good stuff. What does it look like to be deeply, deeply satisfied with Jesus? What does it look like to be deeply satisfied with Jesus? And who he is and what he's done. The call of this passage for me is to be truly satisfied in him. Be truly satisfied in him. Verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For, your, for this, your younger brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love seeing this picture of the father in this story. Do you see the father's invite 
to celebrate and come to the banquet to the older son all the way to the last part of the story. I feel it. I see it. In the midst of all of this, the father is still wanting the older son to see what is all going on here. It's bigger than what he's seeing. Jesus is wanting the Pharisees and the religious leaders to see what Jesus was really all about. What the invitations to the sinners were actually all about. Now, did you happen to notice the third son in the story? The third son? I've had this story kind of rolling around in my mind. And it's all been with this one thought. What would a son look like that was doing it right? Right? Uh, and I enjoyed it as I pondered that, and I imagined what he'd be like. I realized that the third son was the answer. Now, you have the younger son, the rebellious son, who's, uh, who's restored to the merciful father. You have the older son, who's angry and not sharing in the celebration with the heart of his father. And then you have the third son, the perfect son, the true son. You see, the third son is the one that's telling the story. And, and he's the one that's telling the story about his actual father, God the Father. And I don't have to wonder what the perfect son would do. I, I have the third son's actual life written down throughout the Bible. I have the third son telling me insights into what God the Father is like in this very story and other stories like it. You see... As the Father invites us to come to the celebration, we know that the celebration is happening because of what the perfect Son did. I make the Christian life about doing this and not doing that, but Jesus has already done all that needed to be done. He's done it all. And now He's inviting you and me to know Him, but His invitation doesn't look like more work because his burden is light. He's done the work. His invitation isn't to a bunch of rules because he's fulfilled the law. His invitation is to know him. That's the key. Knowing him. The other verse in Matthew 7, away from you evildoers because I never knew you. I never knew you. Learn his heart. Read his words. Get active where you see him moving. Strive to cling to him in your every day. May we be deeply satisfied in Jesus. May we be deeply satisfied in him. May, may that be what your new year resounds with. What if we responded to his invitation with a yes? Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I, I'm, I'm thankful that you are good, good Father, that you love us the way that you do, that you love us with this intense love, even if we're coming to you self-righteous and thinking we know it all, you still love us in such amazing ways. And if anyone here, anyone online is not a son, and not a son of yours, I, I pray that they would say yes to the invitation that is through the life of Jesus, through his sacrifice, to accept what he's done in their life, Jesus, may we be deeply satisfied in you. Deeply satisfied. May everything else pale in comparison to knowing you, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.